chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke, and we'll begin reading at verse number 14 today, Luke 4 verse 14. And today we're going to talk about misunderstanding Jesus, misunderstanding the Messiah. Luke chapter 4, verse number 14, the Bible says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. If I can just quickly point out, Luke, more than any gospel writer, emphasizes the Holy Spirit. You'll read more about the Spirit in Luke's gospel than Matthew, Mark, or John. And you even see this flowing into the book of Acts. He's very aware of this unseen hand of God that's working. So Jesus, after the time in the wilderness with the temptation, He's returned now to Galilee. And it says, There went out a fame of Him through all the region round about, and He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So this is a summary little snapshot of what Jesus was doing in the earliest days of His ministry. He was moving about in the north. That's the region of Galilee. And everywhere he'd go, he would do some miracles, he would do some preaching. But every Sabbath day, he found himself in a synagogue. Every day that the synagogue doors were opened, Jesus was there. And the bulk of our text today, verses 16 down, we're going to see what happened with Jesus visiting one of the synagogues in the north, and specifically his hometown of Nazareth, but if you would just skip down to verse 28. Verse 28 says, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They're trying to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 30, but he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. There was obviously a misunderstanding. To to put it mildly, there was a misunderstanding. Jesus had gone from synagogue to synagogue, doing great miracles, and by and large was accepted everywhere he went until he got to his hometown of Nazareth. So today we're going to take a look from verses 16 down. What went wrong? What caused this misunderstanding about Jesus? So if you would bow your heads, let's pray together. Father, uh, we just want to ask for your blessing on the Word as it's been read. We thank you for preserving it, Uh, Lord, to this day and forever. We'll have access to your thoughts on paper. And I pray that you'd guide us now, the power of the Spirit. Let it be here amongst us. And I pray that as I speak and that as the people hear, that, Lord, uh, the Holy Ghost would let these seeds of the Word sink deep into our hearts, that He would do the work today. And Father, we ask You, please guide us now into truth, even where we've misunderstood it about You and Your Son. Open our eyes. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you might be thinking, this happened, right? We don't doubt the historicity of this. It's a historical fact. They tried to kill Jesus. But never, and I mean never, would we do that. Never could we misunderstand the Lord to this extent. And I say that that, maybe you're jumping the gun there a little bit. Let's see what actually brought about this misunderstanding. It says in verse number 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now there's two ways that this is understood. Some people take it that after Jesus began his ministry, it was his custom to preach in every synagogue where he went. And that might, in fact, be the case. Uh, As a matter of fact, it does look like that's what was happening. But because in verse uh, 16 it talks about Nazareth where he had been brought up, this custom is not, I think, simply a thing of his ministry where he would go in, read Scripture, and then preach. I think his custom was every Sabbath, Jesus, from the time he was a little boy, he was in the synagogue. And can I just say that's a wonderful custom to have. If you're going to have some spiritual habits, this is a really good habit to be in that if the church doors are open, I'm in. 
I'm there. Jesus finds himself in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up for to read. Now, this was the typical Jewish, uh, Jewish way of doing it in the synagogue. The person who was going to preach would often stand to do the reading. And then after he is read, he would hand the book aside, and he would sit down to do the preaching. Now, aren't you glad we don't do that here? I get too comfortable. We could be here until 2 in the afternoon. Amen. But, verse 17, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Jesus turns to what we now know as Isaiah chapter 61. And he's going to read verse 1 and part of verse 2. He reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It's a powerful passage. Every Jew in Israel at this time would have been familiar with this passage because... They have been in captivity for hundreds of years. They have had Gentiles ruling over them. And by and large, every Jew in Israel at this time is waiting for the Messiah to show up and do exactly this. Heal the brokenhearted, lead the captives, set the captives free, all of that. Jesus reads this passage, verse 20, and he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. So now it's time for him to preach. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, for multiple reasons. They know this little town of Nazareth, right? Small, this is like Stillfontaine cut in half. It's <laughs> tiny. Nazareth is barely a blip on the map. And here this famous guy, Jesus, who grew up in Nazareth, has come to visit. Now, they, they know the stories. They've been hearing the rumors. Jesus has been going here and there in Galilee, performing miracles. He's been preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's a very powerful figure. He has a reputation at this point. So everybody is listening intently. They're leaning in. What is this prophet going to say? Are we going to see a miracle today? Is, to, is he going to put on a good show? What are we going to see? And then when he reads this passage on top of it, I'm sure they leaned in even further and went, whoa, I wonder what he has to say about this whole Messiah thing because there's been rumors here and there, maybe he's the guy. Verse 21, and he began to say unto them, here's the opening words to his sermon, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, that's a, that is a heart-stopping moment right there. He's read the verses about the Messiah. The people of Nazareth know his backstory, what he's been doing in Galilee as of recent times. And he says, guys, this thing about the Messiah, you're watching it happen. Here I am. The Messiah has come. You know, it's always a thrilling day when you watch the Bible happen in front of you. You know, one of these days, brethren, the Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall be raised. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Bible says we're looking for that glorious day, that appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible gives us a description of being up in heaven and seeing the throne and the four living beasts and the 24 four elders and everybody cries out holy 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 and cast their crowns and I'm looking forward to Jesus standing up from his throne and saying this day those scriptures are fulfilled in your ears man what a day that will be now can you imagine how exciting that would be for us if we were to see it to see it today the Nazarenes saw it and this was their response all that bear him, I'm sorry, verse 22, and all bear him witness. So they, they, they nod. And this is a good lesson here, here for our church. Here, here, here's a good way to help the preacher when he's preaching. Do one of these jobs right here. This tells me that you're awake. 
and that we're together. I'll even take one of these every now and then if you don't agree. That's fine. Just as long as I know that you're still in the building. Amen. They all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Now, let's, let's get it right. They're not going, amen, you're the Messiah. They're not there yet. They bear him witness that, yes, this passage that you've read, this is a powerful passage. You have read it eloquently. And now you've given us something to think about. and They're, they're kind of on the fence at this point. You can see it at the end. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? They are not saying that to him, are they? They are not saying, wait, wait, Jesus, you just claimed to be the Messiah. Aren't you Joseph's son? That's not the conversation. So here's what's happening. Jesus read the scripture. Today you're watching it be fulfilled and now they're nudging the guy next to him, going, can you believe that? that? That passage is about the Messiah, man. That's the Messiah. He just claimed to be the Messiah. Now, that's some powerful stuff. Can you believe that? But whose boy is he? Don't we know this guy? Isn't that Joseph's boy? Wait a minute. His family's one of the poorest families in town. Don't you know that his daddy was the carpenter that passed away a few years back? I think I have a table that that guy made. <laughs> and the people are starting to whisper and murmur, and it doesn't look as if they're angry. It just looks as if they're undecided. They don't know what to do with this amazing statement. Okay, he's been doing miracles. He's been preaching some pretty powerful sermons, but now that's one thing, right? Other prophets of God have done that. But now you're taking it a step further, Jesus. You are saying that you are the promised Messiah of Israel, the one we've been waiting for for over a thousand years, that you, this little boy that we watched grow up on the streets of Nazareth, you're going to overthrow the Roman government? You're going to deliver the kingdom back to us? Ah, God, Jesus, that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Aren't you just Joseph's boy? They only know him by his earthly father, not by his heavenly father. C can I just point something out to you? When Jesus wanted to manifest himself and reveal himself to the people, he did so by opening the Bible and reading a passage about himself and going, hey, that's me. If you want to get to know the real biblical Jesus, open up your Bible and start to read it and let the Holy Spirit put his divine finger verse after verse after verse saying, that's your Savior. That's the one that died for you. That's the one that loves you. That's the one that's walking with you. That's the one that's teaching you. There he is, there he is, there he is, there he is. That's how Jesus did it throughout his ministry. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, his own apostles doubted whether or not it was actually Jesus standing in front of them, right? He said, put your finger in. Touch, put, put your hand in the hole here. Give me some bread. Give me some fish. Let me eat in front of you. A ghost can't do these things. Look, I'm a real person. It's me. You know the last thing he did to prove to them that it was him? He opened a Bible. Luke chapter 24. He opened the Scriptures and starting at the Law of Moses into the Psalms and throughout the Prophets, he showed them verses concerning himself. And he says, guys, you won't believe me eating bread and fish. You won't believe it if you touch the hole in my hand. Would you believe it if I showed it to you in the Bible? Now look at what the Scripture said would happen. I have fulfilled all of those things. Oh, guys, it's exciting to have a Bible. It's exciting when you know the Lord Jesus because then you can go Genesis to Revelation and see him page after page after page. Jesus, how do we know that you're the one? He said, well, tell you what, you can ask John the Baptist. I mean, you guys like John the Baptist. Ask him. I mean, he's, he's born witness to me. If you don't believe John the Baptist, just look at the miracles I'm doing. I mean, that should say something for me. If, if, that, if that's not enough proof, listen to what the Father said. The Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And if none of that proof is going to stir you, Jesus said this in John 5, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. You want, you want to avoid misunderstanding Jesus? Open the Bible. 
read the Bible. And the Holy Spirit will guide you into the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit will not speak of His own. He won't make stuff up. He will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God works through the Bible to show people the truth about Jesus. Their their reaction is not to think of anything divine, but rather to say, ah, isn't this just Joseph's boy? Now what happens next Right? Jesus has made his introduction. I'm not just a traveling preacher. I'm not just a miracle worker. I am the Messiah, the Son of God. You know what he's said about himself? I am greater than you think. I, I, I almost want to say that he'd say the same thing this morning. That if he walked into a lot of churches this morning, ours or anywhere, he'd say, guys, I'm a lot greater than you think. There's a lot more to me than you realize. There's a lot more I'd like to show you. We sang it just now. More about Jesus would I know. When Jesus shows up in Revelation 2, He goes to the church in Ephesus and He says, you've left your first love. He shows up to the Laodiceans and He's knocking at the door, trying to get in, trying to sup with them. There's more to Him than we probably recognize. Verse 23 Starting here, Jesus, now the introduction has been made, I'm greater than you think, and now he's going to expose their unbelief. Now I say this, to this point it doesn't look as if they're unbelievers. It looks like they're just kind of on the fence, which way do we go? He is going to expose the true feelings they have about him. Watch this, verse 23, he said unto them, ye will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, Heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. Guys, you will reject me. Now, if you're at one of the Nazarenes and you're sitting there in that synagogue and you're going, I don't know. I mean, is he really the Messiah? You know, he's Joseph's boy. Kind (laughs) of. And then he says, you know what? You are going to reject me. Well, who do you think you are telling me what I am and am not going to do? Verse 24, and he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. That's just a long-standing general rule. There are exceptions to that, but the general rule is if, if you're familiar with the guy, you don't think as highly of him. Familiarity breeds contempt, right? We're used to this guy, so we take him for granted. Jesus is exposing the truth of it. Guys, you've watched me grow up from a little boy. You were there when I used to play on the playground. You were there when I used to whittle my own fishing pole and would catch fish down there by the, by the river, me and my dad. You've seen all those things with me. He says, you guys are just tilted. You're inclined not to accept who I really am. He could have stopped there. The point had been made that you guys are not impressed with me. You won't accept me for all my glory. But he didn't. Verse 25, but I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land but unto none of them was Elias sent that's Elijah save unto Sarepta a city of Sidon unto a woman that was a widow. He tells a story from 1 Kings how Elijah this great prophet was sent to a Gentile woman and this Gentile woman took care of Elijah, and if you know the story, Elijah raised her son from the dead. But the, the issue that you've got to see here, it was a Gentile. And as these Nazarenes are hearing this, you've got to appreciate where they're at. They don't like Gentiles at all. They've got a serious bias, and they're bigoted, and they got prejudice, and they got hatred, and let's call it racism in their heart. Going, whoa, Wait a minute, Jesus, time out. The Messiah is supposed to help Jews. And now what's this business you talking to us about helping Gentiles? Why did Jesus have to bring up that hot topic? (laughs) Jesus, what are you trying to stir up here? Verse 27, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisus, the prophet, that's Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, or Naaman, the Syrian. 
Again, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and gives them a story from 2 Kings 5 about a Gentile who was cleansed of leprosy. Jesus could have stopped at verse 24. He made the point. You guys, okay, you're not going to be impressed with me. Let me just leave the synagogue, shake a few hands. Good to see you, old buddy. Thanks for buying that table you know, a few years back. Hope it, hope it stands for a long time to come. He could, have, he could have done the politically correct thing. But Jesus did not come to win people with politeness. He did not come to make friends. Listen carefully. He came to tell the truth. I, now, let's listen to the whole story. I do, I'm not saying that he came to make enemies. I'm not saying that he came and purposely tried to make people angry just for the sake of making enemies. That's not what he did. But he knew if you're going to have a relationship with me, you need to know the real me. You need to know, number one, who the Messiah, the Son of God is and, and what it means to be the Messiah. And number two, you need to know what the real mission of the Messiah is. Because these Jews had some preconceived notions about who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. And Jesus is stepping in going, I don't think you guys know the whole story. And if you knew the whole story about Jesus you may not like him as much as you do. So Jesus wants the relationship with him to be based on truth, not political correctness. People often hide their unbelief behind pleasantries and politically correct speak. Relationships with Jesus these days are often formed not on what is said from the Bible, but what is not said. Because if I bring up this part of his life, or if I tell you what he said about that, you may not like it because society has taught us to be overly sensitive about certain things. And if we just tell the truth about God's plan for how he's going to reach this and that people of the world, then we properly under now we can get on board. Now we can make a choice, I'm with him or I'm against him. Jesus is going to make sure these people know I'm not here, number one, first, primarily to be your friend. I'm here to tell you the truth. Look at verse 25. Look at what he said about it. But I tell you of a truth. He says, guys, I just want to share a truth with you from the Old Testament. God is not against reaching out to Gentiles. And that truth in the Jewish mind was just more than they could handle. So let's talk about two things that these Nazarenes, these Jews, did not understand properly about Jesus. Number one, they could not accept him because they were limited in their knowledge of Jesus. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. They were incapable of seeing Jesus in all his glory because they were so familiar with him. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. They had watched him grow up from the time he was a little boy, right? They knew the 8-year-old Jesus. They knew the 12-year-old Jesus. They knew the 15-year-old Jesus. These people of Nazareth knew Jesus better than anybody else in Israel, humanly speaking. They watched him go fishing with Dad. They watched him in the carpentry shop. If somebody needed something fixed, they go down. The Jesus they knew was the Jesus that had grown up in front of their eyes and because they were so familiar with him when he said this great thing hey I'm the Messiah I'm here to bring salvation not just to you but to the entire world ah we know you too well to believe that said pastor how does that affect us now we grow up Amen. isn't this true of most of you in the room didn't most of you grow up going to a church hearing about Jesus you knew all the stories by the time you were, what, 10? You knew all the Bible stories about Jesus' life. And you had this image of Jesus in your mind, and that's who he is. It, it was put in your mind from a young age, and now you kind of have Jesus in this little box. This is who Jesus is. This is the kind of person he is. This is what he likes and what he doesn't like. And for whatever reason, years ago, you stopped letting that box grow. 
and the shine no longer impresses you. And when Jesus shows up on a Sunday, when Jesus shows up on a Thursday, a Tuesday, whenever he appears to you through your Bible reading, through a time of prayer, through a friend, through a sermon, that new information he's trying to give you, that deeper relationship he's trying to achieve with you, it will not happen because I already know what the Savior is like. I already have all the information I need about Jesus and nothing new is getting in. Your familiarity has caused you to take him for granted. And that's what these people were doing. Myself, I grew up as a Roman Catholic. Many of you know that. My dad had me in church every single Sunday. My dad, now thank God he's saved now, age of 75, he, he received the Lord. Don't give up on him. My dad, as he was raising myself and my sister, did you know he read the Bible with us every day? As a lost Roman Catholic. Read the Bible with us every day, prayed with us every day, taught me how to pray the rosary, took me to Sunday school every Sunday, never missed, never missed, not one. Even when we were out of town on a bowling tournament or something else, we were in church in that other town. We never missed. My dad, he taught me as much as he knew about Jesus. Amen. Mom and dad, please teach your kids as much as you can about the Lord Jesus. But teach them this above all, to stay hungry and to continue learning. The depth of their knowledge should not be their 10-year-old knowledge of Jesus. Their 12-year-old limit, right? Teach them to stay hungry, to keep learning, to keep searching for Him in the Scripture. My dad taught me that if you want to talk to Jesus, you first have to talk to Mary. That Jesus was angry with me because I had sinned. And the only way that Jesus would listen to me is if I talked to his mother. I had to take my prayer request to his mother. Now at the Catholic church where I grew up, you had to take a quarter, put it into the offering, and then you could light a candle. When, you light, when, when you've lit a candle, now you can talk to Mary. She's lit, the lights are on. And now you're talking. Serious, that's how it worked. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you how it was. And, and you could talk to Mary. Mary would then take the request to Jesus and Jesus would then take the request to the Father and on it went. So my idea of Jesus was this angry man that I could never approach. And when somebody came to me and said, do you know Jesus? Yes, I know him. That, I know my version of Jesus. But it wasn't until I was 20 years old somebody came to my door knocked and said, sir, if you died today, are you going to heaven? We began a conversation and he started to open the Bible. He said, don't believe anything I tell you. I just want you to believe what the Bible says. Would you do that? I said, sure, I'd, I'd do that. And he started showing me verse after verse about Jesus from the Bible. And all of a sudden, my idea of Jesus began to change. He's not that angry, vindictive Savior that wants me out and Mary has to beg me in. All of a sudden, I start to realize he wants to be close to me. He loves me more than I could possibly imagine. He's waiting for me to accept Him as my Savior. I, he wants that. He wants that now. Do not limit your knowledge of Jesus. You say, Pastor, that's not me. I grew up with a biblical idea of Jesus. I didn't hear these stories about Mary. That's not my story. I grew up and it was a biblical version. And maybe the Jesus that you know only exists in those stories. Here's what I mean by that. The Jesus you know, you folks at the camera, I'm so sorry. Do your best. You don't have to. Follow me. The Jesus you know lives right here in the pulpit. That's it. So whenever you hear a sermon and, and the Holy Spirit starts coming down here and saying, here, the Jesus that we're preaching about, he wants to be there. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to put your head in the yoke and walk with him. And, and the Jesus of the Bible, he's coming down real close and personal. See, even now, some of you are getting a little worried that I, I'm going to come to your chair. <laughs> I know, I know, because you know why? This isn't familiar. This isn't the norm. This isn't the box. This is, oh, wait a minute, this church, no, 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 no. What we're used to is this little bot. What, what I know of Jesus is you stay up there, you talk about Jesus, do not bring Jesus to me. Do not bring him down to my level and force 
me to, into a relationship. No, 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 no. But see, that's what the Holy Spirit does is he, he, he just keeps coming closer and coming closer and coming closer. And while I'm here, let me just give you a hug. <laughs> I love you so much. This is my wife. This is my wife. This, this is not weird. Perfectly fine. <laughs> you, you see, the Holy Spirit will kind of put you outside of your comfort zone and challenge you to learn more about Jesus than you have before. And go, wait a minute, maybe there's more to this guy than what I'm used to. Maybe the Jesus I grew up hearing about in the pulpit needs to come out of the pulpit and down into my house. Maybe he needs to get in my car with me so I stop yelling at my wife on the way home and actually go home and enjoy her for the afternoon and have fun with my family and we can talk about the Lord. And how about we bring that into our home, into our everyday life? And it's not just a Sunday every now and again kind of thing. Just breaking out of that box. In the Jewish mind, the Messiah couldn't be this unimpressive little boy from Nazareth. In the mind of the Jew, the Messiah was this great conquering king coming down in all of his glory and whoa, wipe out the enemy. He couldn't be a little boy that has to grow up and become a man. That can't be him. In their mind, the Messiah can't be the guy that's going to go to the cross and die. The Messiah is not a suffering servant. The Messiah is a conquering king. They had to unlearn before they could truly learn. And friend, from my, in my experience, that's the toughest part to learning. is saying, you know what, maybe for the last 40 years I haven't had it right. Maybe my concept and what my forefathers thought about the Messiah was wrong. That's what Jesus is asking them to do, to take the last five, six hundred years of their forefather thinking, throw it out and go, I need to rethink who this Messiah is and what he's like. That's why he said in verse 23, you're going to say to me, physician, heal thyself. You are going to think that I'm the one with the problem. Now they did this on the cross, did they not? If you're the king of Israel, if you're the son of God, save yourself. Come down from the cross and we'll believe. Right? That's what they said. They're saying if you are who you say you are, you shouldn't be acting like this. Because in their mind, the Messiah does X and not Z. Does A and not B. Right? You're not what we expected, so you change. You've been telling everybody else to repent. Now you're hanging on a cross. It looks like you need to repent. And so often mankind tries to change Jesus to fit the image of Him they have in their heads. They want to make a God in their image rather than letting God reform them to the image of His Son. They misunderstood the Messiah. They misunderstood the plan. In verse 23, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. In their mind, Jesus, or let's say the Messiah rather, is supposed to come and elevate the Jewish people. You've been doing miracles, Capernaum, Galilee, Decapolis, all these other places. Well, Jesus, why don't you go to your hometown and elevate that little town and make it some great place? Jesus, uh, we've heard about these other miracles. Why don't you do some miracles here for us? You know those people that kept asking for more and more miracles? It was never enough. Jesus could never offer enough proof because they were dead set on not believing Him. They didn't want to. Because as soon as you believe Him, you have to change. So it's much easier to just say, change yourself. Do, do what you're doing differently. You've done it there, do it here now. You know what would have happened if Jesus would have come down off the cross? They would have found another reason not to believe him. You say, if God would only answer this prayer, if he would only change this part of my life, then what? Then you'd want another thing. And another thing. And another thing. I think a lot of times, and, and the word Messiah, right, gets lost on us because we're not Jews. The word Messiah means anointed one. It's a promise from the Old Testament. So can I switch over to the word Savior? 
because I think that word is misunderstood. When we talk about Jesus as the Savior, people have it in their head. He is here to save my marriage. He's here to save my money. He's here to save my health. Right? Jesus, he saves me from car accidents, which in South Africa is not a small thing. If Jesus can save us from the potholes in this town, that's a big deal. The potholes are growing, amen. But there's so much more to Jesus than just straightening out your bills and saving you from a car accident. But for a lot of people, that's the extent of their expectations with Jesus. Ah, yes, I'll receive Him as my Savior, which in their mind means He'll fix all the problem areas of my life and make my life what I want it to be. That's not the relationship He's offering you. That's why they got upset. We have thought that the Messiah is supposed to elevate Israel. This little town of Nazareth, nobody is impressed with it. Why don't you go there and elevate them and make them something special? And then Jesus comes back with, uh, you know what, guys? Let me tell you a truth. The Messiah is interested in Gentiles as well. I'm not here to promote Nazareth and make it a great city. I'm here not just to help you, but to help Gentiles as well. And they went, whoa, wait a minute, they're the enemy. You're, if you're the Messiah, you're supposed to kill them. And you know what he preached? Love your enemy. And immediately they thought, whoa, oh, no, oh, can't love them. Gentiles, Malema. Oh. <laughs> Gotta love him too. Hey, you can say amen right there. You gotta love him too. You see, as soon as Jesus gives you a tough command like, no, no, I'm not here to, to destroy them. I didn't come to condemn men. I came to save them. I came to help them, love them, pray for them. Oh, we don't want to do that. No, you're asking us to change way too much of our thinking now. In their mind, the Jews were supposed to rise up and be above all the nations. And Oh, we're Jewish. That wasn't the point. God made a promise to Abraham that through Abraham, I'll bless all the families of the earth. Not so that the Jew could be up there in the number one position looking down the nose, but so that the Jew could be in that primary position to say, we brought the Messiah into the world, now please come and meet him. God simply wanted to use that nation to introduce the Savior to the whole world. Not to badger the enemy, but to bless them. But the Jews misunderstood the message. This week, I took my car in to get it fixed. It was in Clerksdorp, and as is often the manner, you know, I took it in early in the morning, and they told me it's going to take a couple of hours. You know how that goes. Four hours later, I, I'm expecting to hear from them. I finally get a call. Now, forgive me, I know we have a couple of Americans here in the, in the audience Anybody else that doesn't speak Afrikaans here this morning? All right, a few of you. All right, so forgive me. I, I'm, you, you guys will get the point here. And I've already told Brother Dobbins this story, so he knows. But somebody called me, right? I got a phone call while I'm waiting for the car, and they said, Yeah, all this is no chariot. Now, you guys know. Ek probierum meer Afrikaans te gebruik. Ek wil flot word in Afrikaans, maar ek sikkel baie. Selfs al hierdie, om vir my in kerk, tydens die dienst, om Afrikaans te praat, ek is nou bang, baie bang. So I'm saying I'm scared, because I'm trying to speak Afrikaans, right? I'm scared. So I get this phone call, and the lady says, alles is nou gereed. I said, oh, wonderlijk. Now, ek wak vir die wat? Die kar. So ek denk wat? Die kar is nou gereed. The car is no right. I can know the car fought, right? And and I said, all right. And she said, yeah. Um, so so the the um, the final bedrag is number 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 number. I I I can't need the numbers. You guys say numbers backwards to me, right? So <laughs> you do. Sais and faith talk to me. That's sixty-five, but it just it doesn't work. <laughs> so I hear jij moet hier die bedrag betaal. So what can I do? Stem some. Yeah, money what any. Excel dip at all. Until this moment, I don't know how much that amount is. 
So then I said, so sal jij a driver steer? And this person says, you want me to send a driver? Now, that's, that's, if it's the car place, right, they're, they're going to send a driver to pick me up from the mall and bring me back to the car place to pick up my car. So all this is right, that mocks in. And, and that person on the phone said, a, a driver? I said, yes, I believe, a driver. She said, uh, on can here ding a steer, but it's a bit free, but on can. I said, Okay, yeah, 100%. Excel for the spur, vias. Said, all right. Hung up the phone. So what do I do? I'm there at Matlosana. I step out. I'm waiting in front of the spur. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm like, man, this car place is taking forever. <laughs> I send a message to the number that just called me. Ekas for the spur. Asiblif. For Daedalic for the driver. Ekas here. Vach, vach, vach. Nix. Thought, yes, 45 minutes. I called the place back and I said, Askis, Askis. Ekis Mike Flick, Yelet for my Bell, or the car, and Ek Vak for the spur now. So, the driver, Vidai, Varekis, and blah, blah, blah. She said, I'm sorry, sir. Where are you? I said, I'm at the mall here in Clerkstorp. She said, This is wanted clothing. The badges that your wife wanted to have made up, they're now ready for collection. <laughs> I said, Ooh. <laughs> Did mock bias in, though. <laughs> Did mock bias in. I said, All right, all right. I said, Excel for Suzuki no bell. <laughs> and not two minutes later, Suzuki called me and said, Now we're sending the driver. I thought, Oh my goodness, how could I get that wrong? <laughs> I was standing there for almost an hour getting angry at Suzuki because they were taking too long. Right? It wasn't their fault at all. It was my misunderstanding that was causing me to get frustrated with the people that were helping me. Are you getting the point? There are a lot of things we expect from the Lord Jesus Christ that He never promised to do. He, that's not His purpose. That's not His role He's here to fix some other things in your life that really needs to be fixed and you're getting frustrated and angry not because he did something wrong but you have a false expectation of who called you. <laughs> you got the lines crossed. You got, it was a wrong number. That other thing that called you, that wasn't God. You didn't get that out of the Scripture. You need to go back and say, God, now maybe I dialed the wrong number. Let me get the right one here. Let me find out exactly what it is that you want done in my life. Some of you will remember some years ago we had a gentleman in our church named Um Franz. Um Franz struggled with cancer for the better part of 13 years. He had cancer in his mouth. He had to have part, the bottom of his mouth, he had a part of it cut out. They sewed part of his tongue down to cover that. And it was a very sad situation. But Um Franz, as you might remember, had such a wonderful spirit about him. Loved the Lord. One day in Sunday school I taught a lesson about healing and I mentioned in that lesson that God has not promised to heal us physically during this life and I taught from Isaiah 53 that healing physical healing is not in the atonement that is a very popular teaching that in his stripes were healed so because Jesus had stripes right whipped that we will physically be healed I, I explained that day that because of those stripes we can be spiritually healed and I showed the scriptures um Franz was in that lesson. For almost his entire life, his entire Christian life, he had believed that because of Jesus' physical stripes, he would be physically healed. He thought, cancer will never get me. That was Sunday morning. Sunday night, it was Um Franz Manor. He was always the first one to church. He got there before I did. This was no exception. He was there, greeted me at the door, and he was upset. He's in his late 70s. You know, he couldn't talk well. He said, Pastor, I have a problem with you. And he was, I mean, really upset, not joking, tears coming down his face. I'm so angry with you. I said, what, what did I do? 
And he said, you took all my hope away. And he went on to explain how that for years he had been clinging to that promise that God will physically heal me. He said, now God's not going to help me. He was so angry. He sat through the service anyway. But I could tell he was very much touched. By Tuesday night, he came to discipleship because Um France went through it four times. He loved the discipleship class. On his fourth time through, he came and Tuesday night, he showed up and I mean just glowing. And I was a little nervous. What is he going to say? You know, I, we, things didn't end so great on Sunday night. He just left after the service. He came Tuesday night glowing. He said, Pastor, he shook my hand. He gave me a hug. He said, Pastor, God has given me the victory. He said, I thank God for the truth. And he said, now I am satisfied with Jesus whether he heals me or not. Because Jesus saved me so that I could walk with Him, not so that I could be healthy. He got it. He got it. Rather than being angry at the Jesus you don't understand, get to know Him better. And He'll make a lot more sense. A couple of months later, I was sitting next to Um Franz in the hospital the last week of his life. And all he could do was say, glory to God. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. And he told me, he said, Pastor, if I still believed that God owed me physical healing, I would be angry at God right now for letting me be in this position. He said, but now all I want to do is go see Jesus. There was nothing between his soul and the Savior. Why? He properly understood him. Luke 4, verse 30 Watching, watch what he did here. They tried to kill him. They got that angry at him. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Jesus is not going to stand around all day arguing with you, trying to prove himself to you. He has done more than enough to show you who he really is. If you want to know him, he is standing, he's knocking, he's waiting for you to come and say, Jesus, please come in, I want to get to know you. But if you're just going to fight and fuss and be angry and frustrated, Jesus will continue on and go to the next person and try to minister to them. You know what's great about this story? A few months later, Jesus came back to Nazareth. He gave him another chance. Today, maybe today, don't let Jesus just walk away. Today, this is a good time to say, Jesus, you know, the problem is not you. It's been me. I've misunderstood, and right now, today, I want to get to know the real you. Break down all my misconceptions and fill them with truth. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Some music will play softly. And if you would like to maybe break down some of those misconceptions about the Lord, we have an altar that's open. You're welcome to come and do some business with the Lord. Say, Lord, I... I've kind of taken you for granted. I've grown up hearing your name and I've kind of limited you in my mind. Friend, when's the last time you opened up the New Testament and started reading just so that you could know the Lord better? Some have knelt where they're at. You're welcome to do that. If you want to come to this altar and pray and say, Lord, this is how serious I am about knowing you better. You know, those people in Nazareth, they came at Jesus to throw them off the cliff. I'm asking you to come, not to throw them off, but to cling on. 
Pastor, why did the Savior come? He came to save you from your sins that have separated you and God. He wants to reconcile you. He wants you to know God deeply, intimately, personally. And He wants you to stay hungry to know more and more about Him every day. Today, don't don't say to Him, heal thyself. Cry out to heaven and say, God, please fix me. Say, God, you've done more than enough. There's every reason I should trust you. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning as we turn to you in prayer. Lord, we, we thank you for the Bible that shows us truth about you, shows us truth about how you work. And Lord, I, I'm, I'm asking on my own behalf, on the behalf of this church, show us more, teach us more. Help us to see you clearly. Lord, the times that we've been angry and frustrated with you, it's it's because we didn't understand. Thank you for giving us a second chance, and for a lot of us, a lot more chances than that. Lord, if somebody here is not saved, I'm just asking before we close that you touch that person's heart. And let them see you in all your glory. Not the version of you that they grew up with, but the real you. Let them get a hold of that, please. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being here this morning. We do have Bible school tonight, so please join us at 6 p.m. at the new building.